Well, good morning once again, everybody. Welcome. I'm Jonathan Anderson, pastor here at Harvest Point. We're so glad to have you here. And I just want to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for uh, letting, enabling Emily, Patrick, and I to have a vacation the week before last. We had a great time and in Greenville, South Carolina, hanging out with some old college friends and eating and just relaxing. And while we were there, my son got his very first haircut. And I know people love pictures of my son. So here you go. In the fire truck. You know, it's not like it used to be. Now they have like hair salons for kids, right? Y'all know this? Okay, it's crazy. Um, so he got his first haircut, so that was cool. Um, I'm thankful for uh, Pastor Stephen Walters, who filled in for me last week. Didn't he do an awesome job, if you, if you listened or heard online? Um, he is a great friend, accountability buddy, so he knows everything about me, the good, bad, and the ugly. So I'm thankful for him. Also grateful to announce um, that... In the Methodist church, the bishop appoints people to serve as pastors of local churches year to year, and uh, we're announcing today that I have been appointed to serve here another year. So, um, yes. So last week, last week was the official announcement Sunday, but b- being gone and everything, it, you know, we're announcing it this week, so I'm grateful to be here for another year. And so naturally, I've been thinking about the year ahead, what's to come, and, you know, I- I'm excited. I think even just like in the community and the church, there's a spirit of hopefulness that we haven't had in the last year or so, right? I mean, with Easter and with summer coming and vacations that were postponed for, you know, 15 months now are finally getting here. Restaurants are opening up, vaccinations up, you know, cases are down. Like, there's a renewed spirit of like, okay, this summer things are going to be different. We're, we're looking forward with more hope. And I'm, I'm hopeful, not just because I get to eat chips and queso at the restaurants, Um, but because I believe God's going to do great things in our church, in our community. God wants to do great things in our lives, and so I'm hopeful for the future, but I think before we we rush into the future, it's important to to take time and to look back, and my wife, who's a therapist, she says, you know, after such a tough year, it's important to, to take time and to grieve those things that we've lost and to, to, to mourn the death, the sickness, and the canceled plans, and the, the joblessness, right? It's important to take time and mourn those things before we move forward in a healthy way. And I encourage you to do that. That's not going to be the focus of this series, but I think that's important. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that there have been some gifts in this last year. There have been some blessings in the last 12 months, I think, in each of our lives. And so for me, I mean, I think about my son... You know, he was born right before kind of the pandemic took over. And so working from home last year, like I've been able to see him at each of his milestones day by day. And, and that's been a blessing. But I, I know that's kind of unique to me. And so I've been asking people uh, in our weekly email, Facebook, and in conversations, you know, hey, what have been the gifts in your life this past year? What have been those blessings? And I got some interesting answers. I mean, some people, hey, retirement has been a gift. Other people having kids or grandkids, some people changing jobs has been a gift. Somebody said, you know, I got to know my dog more during the pandemic. And I was like, hey, that's a great positive way to frame things. But the number one answer I got in asking everybody could basically be summed up like this. People said, you know, I'm just glad to slow down. It was a blessing to slow down, to rest to not run from place to place so quickly. Somebody said, I was just grateful to get out of the rat race. 
for a little while. And one person, one friend on Facebook, they, they put it this way, and I thought this was really profound. He said, for me, it's been a nice year of rest. Our society has become so focused on 100% hustle that people think you're lazy when you take time to be still or rest or do literally nothing. And this year has offered time for stillness. And I know that hasn't been the case for everybody. I mean, especially like online learning parents who are juggling everything. But I think for a lot of us, we have experienced a little slower pace in life. I mean, how many of you in here, raise your hand, would you say last year things slowed down a bit for you, a bit more than normal? It's not everybody, but, but a lot of us, right? That's it's been a reality. And there's been a blessing in that because we've caught a glimpse of a way of life that isn't so frantic, isn't so hurried, isn't so crazy busy, just packing in as much as we can and living with no margin in our lives. There's been some blessings to that. But I'll confess to you, like, as the year is ahead of us and as I look to the year, even with hope, I still have some fear and anxiety that soon it's, it's going to be like the old normal, right? Soon our calendars are going to be full. Soon we're going to be rushing from one place to the next. We're going we're to forget what it was like to slow down a little bit. But I don't think it has to be that way. And I actually don't think Jesus wants it to be that way in our lives. I don't think Jesus wants us living at a frantic pace, constantly pushing more stuff on us, worrying, fretting, and not being present with him or with other people. I think actually Jesus wants us to live a different way. And that's why we're, we're starting a new sermon series this week for the, next, for the next few weeks on rest, slowing down, and not hurrying so much. And the, the title of this series is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, and this, this title for the series is also the title of a book, which is Beyond the Bible, the main resource we're going to be drawing on in the series. And so if you're a reader and you want to you read, I encourage you to, to grab this book. It's by a pastor named John Mark Comer. And the, the title of this book comes from a conversation that John Mark records in his book between a man named Dallas Willard and John Ortberg. John Ortberg is a pastor in California. Dallas Willard is just kind of a spiritual mentor to pastors in the last generation. And so one day, Ortberg went to Dallas and he said, hey, I, I just, I don't know that I'm, I'm the person that God wants me to be. I, I feel like I'm not as close to God as I want to be. Like I want to grow more spiritually. What do I need to do? And Dallas, who moved very slowly, paused and he said to Orberg, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So Orberg wrote it down in his little moleskin journal. And then he, he said, okay, what else? I want, what, what's the next thing? And Dallas said, there is nothing else. Hurry, he said, is the great spiritual enemy of our day. Now, that's a provocative statement, isn't it? That's a provocative statement because if, if I was to put a whiteboard up here and have you shout out what you think the greatest spiritual enemies are today, I don't think anybody in this room would list hurry. There's plenty of things we could list, and they're coming to your mind now, coming to your mind now, the, the greatest spiritual enemies. But here's what I want you to think about. Here's why this rings true to me, and I think it'll ring true to you. If you think about why you aren't where you want to be in your relationship with God, 
why you're not closer to him, why you're not growing in holiness or Christ-likeness, why you're not more, more loving towards other, other people, living out the great commandment. I think a lot of us wouldn't say it's, it's the media, it's all these cultural factors. I think a lot of us would say actually it's because we're hurrying. Because we're not creating time to spend with God and grow in intimacy with him. A lot of us would say, yeah, we're in a rush. We haven't, we haven't put in the effort and just spent time growing in God's word, time in prayer, time with him, because we are in a hurry. Hurry is a great spiritual enemy of our day. And now some of you might be thinking, you know, you're retired in here. How, you, who in here is living the good retired life? Anybody? Yeah, y'all live in the retired life. Now, you might be thinking, you know, my schedule's not full anymore, although a lot of times in retirement, it gets more full. You might be thinking, you know, my, my schedule's not packed. It's not crazy busy. But what I want you to see is hurry isn't just about, like, literally what's on, on your calendar. Hurry is also a state of being that a lot of us have deep inside of our souls, where we're not necessarily rushing from physically one place to the next, but, but, but in our hearts and our souls, we feel like, okay, okay, I got I to gotta do more. I have to be more. I have to, uh, I have to accomplish more. It's, it's this restlessness that a lot of us feel in our culture today where we're kind of constantly on edge and, and wanting to move. It enables us to, to not exactly sit still. Hurry's a great enemy in our day. And if you think about it, you can hate in a hurry, right? In traffic, you can drive by and you can flick somebody off. You can hate in a hurry. But it's very difficult to love in a hurry. Very difficult to love somebody when you're rushing from one place to the next and they, they're, they're sitting there wanting you to listen to them. It's hard to be present with people when we're, when we're scrolling on our phones and we're, we're just thinking about everything going on in the world and what we need to do next and all the problems and, and all, all this stuff, right? It's hard to, to love the people in front of us. And even in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you might remember and Jesus told this one, it was a parable about loving your neighbor. And, and Stephen even referenced this last week. I mean, two of the people walked by the person who was hurt on the side of the road. We don't exactly know why they didn't stop, but perhaps it was because they were in a hurry. Getting somewhere they needed to go. But the person who loved the man who was hurt, the Good Samaritan, was not in a hurry. The Good Samaritan took time. The Good Samaritan slowed down. And loved the person in front of them. Hard to have joy when you're in a hurry. Hard to have peace when you're in a hurry. But what's surprising or maybe not surprising is that when you look at the life of the person who was full of love, full of joy, and full of peace, we never get the impression in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life that he was ever in a hurry. Did he have a lot of stuff on his schedule? Yeah. Was he accomplishing a lot of great things? Yes, but we never get the sense that Jesus was in a hurry. And in John Mark Comer's book, he has this, this great line where he says, can you imagine Jesus in a hurry? He says, look, imagine Jesus at Mary and Martha's house, and he's like, he's like, Martha, give me some more brownies, okay? I need to fill up before I go out. Or imagine all these people, they're, they're tugging at Jesus' cloak because they want to be healed, and, and, and Jesus is like, hey, can you, can you stop? I got I to respond to everybody on Facebook. They're asking a lot of questions. Can you imagine 
Jesus is in the town and they're like, hey, tell us more about the kingdom of God. We want to know more about this life that you're offering. We want to know more about forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is like, no, I have to give a TED talk in Lebanon tonight. I got to go, guys. Got to catch a private jet. And he just kind of slips up. No, no, we never get the sense in the gospels that Jesus is in a hurry. Instead, Jesus in the gospels to those who are willing to walk with him and learn from him, he says this to them. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Don't those words just kind of like make you pull down your shoulders a little bit? Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, he says this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, when we look at Jesus' life, we find that he moved at the pace of grace. Jesus moved at the pace of grace and he is giving this invitation to you and I to a different way of life. A way of life that is very countercultural. And Jesus, who speaks these words over us this morning, who spoke these words over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he was, he was a savior he was the Lord, he was the Son of God, he was the King of Kings, he was, he was many things, but he was also a rabbi. He was more than a teacher, but he wasn't less than a teacher. And as a rabbi, Jesus had two things that all rabbis had. One is what he referenced here, a yoke. Now you might be familiar in farming terms what a yoke is, it's like you put it around the cow's shoulders, and then it helps them pull the load behind them. But, but here Jesus is referring to what rabbis had, a metaphorical yoke. This was a, a, way, a way of interpreting the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, the law. And, and their way of interpreting the scriptures, and, and rabbis would say, my, my yoke is, is a calling to, to interpret the scriptures as I do and to live like I do. It helped people carry the burdens of life. And Jesus is saying here, my yoke is easy. My way of living in this world isn't going to be like other ways of living in this world. And so rabbis had a yoke, but then they also had disciples. Another way this could be translated is followers or apprentices. These are people in the world who submitted their lives to the rabbi, to the teacher, and sought to live like them, to learn from them, and to really imitate them in their daily lives, the way they, they thought, they lived, they moved, they had their being in the world. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's offering an invitation. He's saying to all who are interested in following him, learn from me, live like me, and I will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. And I think the challenge for us today in our modern, modern society is we want a life that looks like Jesus. We want a life of rest, a life where we're not hurried inside our souls and in our lives. We want a life full of joy, a life full of peace, a life full of love. We want a life that looks like Jesus, but we actually don't want to live like Jesus. But what Jesus is offering us here is an invitation to live like him, to learn from him. And he says, then I will give you rest. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is is looking at Jesus' life and some of the different practices, habits you could say, disciplines that Jesus lived out. We're going to look at his pattern of life and how he lived and how he's calling us to do the same and how when we do that, we begin to move from hurry to rest. The rest that we, we long for, that we ache for deep down in our souls. And so this morning, we're going to look at the, the first and perhaps the most important discipline that Jesus had that helped him live the unhurried life, the abundant life, as we looked at in John's gospel. And, and that, that spiritual practice is the practice of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. And when it comes to Jesus' ministry, so many of us are used to, like, his time with the crowds, right? And feeding of the 5,000, the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, and all the the people pushing in on him. And and that's kind of how we see Jesus as this rock star always with a crowd of people. But if you you look in between those stories in the gospel accounts, you find a consistent pattern that in between these moments, what did Jesus do? Jesus took time for solitude and silence. And it was during those times that he was filled up, that he met with God, and that he was empowered for the tasks before him. And so if we just look in Matthew chapter 4, right after Jesus was baptized, before he began his public ministry, do you remember what he did? He went into the wilderness. He went into the wilderness. Matthew says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, wilderness here, depending on your Bible translation, some translations use wilderness. Some, you might be familiar with, use desert. Others use a desolate place, a solitary place, a quiet place. Before Jesus began his ministry that would change the entire world, what did he do? He pulled away to a quiet place. He prayed and he fasted. And after that time of solitude and silence, what did he do? He defeated our greatest enemy, the devil. He defeated the devil after that time. Then we continue looking in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Before Jesus made one of the most monumental decisions of his ministry, what did he do? Luke tells us one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God before he made this huge decision. Mark Mark chapter 1, verse 35, after Jesus has a long day of teaching, healing, casting out demons, you you might think he'd just like go sleep. No, very early in the morning, 
While it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Everyone was looking for him because he was becoming so popular. But Jesus knew that his mission wasn't just to please other people and do what they wanted him to do. He knew that his mission was bigger. And he knew that to complete the mission that God had given him, he needed to pull away and have times of solitude and silence. Think about before the cross. What did he do? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He withdrew. He went deeper into the garden away from his disciples and he prayed. And if it's not, not very clear yet, Luke, who that's my favorite gospel writer, he gives a lot of details and here he makes it plain. Luke chapter 5 verse 16, he says it this way. Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and, and prayed, and what I want you to know this morning is that Jesus is inviting us to do the same thing. He's inviting us to cultivate these times in our life of solitude and silence. He's inviting us to cultivate quiet so that we can move from hurry to rest in him. But you know, like I do, this is hard, right? This is hard in our culture today. Because there is so much noise around us, and, and quite honestly, we're just not, we're not used to it. We're not used to solitude and silence, and, and I'm going to illustrate it right now, how hard this is, and if you're watching online, don't log off. We're going to sit here in silence. I was going to do a minute, but I don't think people can handle a minute. I'm going to do 30 seconds, okay? Ready, set, go. Okay, we're done. We're done. How many of you wanted to pull out your phone in that moment? Just be honest. How many of you like wanted to pull out your phone and scroll a little bit? It was uncomfortable a little bit, wasn't it? It was a little uncomfortable, but it was also, it was like, oh, wow. It's kind of a gift to just be able to sit still and breathe and not have so much noise around us. But, but, but silence isn't something that is celebrated in our culture today. My friend, he used to work in radio, and he said they had an alarm. If there was silence for more than five seconds, the alarm went off, and they were like, fix it, fix it. You know on TV, if it goes out or like you're watching online a live stream and there's like silence for 10 seconds, you're like, done, going, going to, you know, my favorite news site. Right? We're not used to silence, and that's because there is so much noise around us. There's so much external noise around us. And this is why when we look at Jesus' life, we find him pulling away. We find him going to mountains and lakes and getting up very early in the morning. He didn't, he didn't do those things because those things are super spiritual in and of themselves. He did it because those were the times and the places that he could experience solitude and he could turn down the noise of the world. And it's the same way in our lives. If we're going to have times where we just sit and meet with God away from all the other stuff, we have to turn down the external noise. 
And this is where solitude comes in, pulling away from other people. And now, you don't have to you know, drive to the, the Blue Ridge Mountains to, to get this time. You don't have to have a beautiful lake on your property to look out on. I mean, what we need to do to create these spaces in our own lives, maybe, maybe for you it's like an extra room. It's a bonus room where there's no screens, there's no TVs or anything like that. Maybe it's, it's in your car on your lunch break. Maybe it's a chair. In my, my home office, I have a little wooden rocking chair, and that's my little place. I know that that is a, is a place of solitude for me. It's, it's not that far. I can still hear my 15-month-old screaming, okay? But it's that place for me. And so if we're going to live out this practice, we have to cultivate those spaces, find those places in our lives where we can turn down the external noise around us. But then the hard work comes in, and that's, that's also turning down the internal noise. Because I know when you were sitting here in silence just a little while ago, I mean, I know a lot of us, what we do is we, we start going in our minds. We're like, how long is this silence going to last? What am I going to do for lunch? I wonder what time we're getting out of here. Is Buckner's open with the pandemic? Do they require masks? I'm not going there if they require masks. I don't, I don't want to eat the buffet. Is it family? You know, we're like, we're like oh, my gosh. We have so much chatter in our heads. And a lot of times when I pray, right, I'm a list maker, so it's like, here's all the things you need to do today, right when I try to sit down and have silence with God. And so we have to learn how to, how to quiet that internal noise. And I would say one of the things is just acknowledge what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And, and as you spend time with God, just hand those over to him and say, God, I'm feeling anxious right now. God, I'm feeling like I don't have time to sit here in silence with you right now because there's so much that needs to be done in the world. God, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do, but the pastor said I should sit here in silence. But what am I doing? What? This is weird. Right? So you have all this stuff going on in your mind. Just, just hand it over to God and say, God, here are my distracted thoughts. I'm here. I'm trying. Here are my distracted thoughts. Or if you're like me, sometimes it's helpful to have a little, a little notebook or a little note card. And as the, all the to-dos come into your mind, just jot those down and put them aside. Catch them and release them. And I know a lot of people, it's helpful for them to actually journal out their prayers as they spend time with God because it, it just helps quiet things down. But we have to find ways to, to quiet and turn down the external noise and then turn down the internal noise and, and just sit in God's presence to spend time with Him. In scriptures, we, we, we find that verse, be still, be still and know that I am God. And Isaiah says, strength will come as we wait upon the Lord. And I heard a friend say, maybe we don't have strength because we're not willing to wait. We're not willing to wait one minute with the Lord, so why do we expect to have strength for the battles of this day? We have to cultivate those spaces, and when we do, when we sit with God, he is faithful and he will meet us. He will speak to us. He will quiet our hearts. He will honor our time with him together and he will begin to transform us. And I know this is hard. I know in our culture, it seems like this is an impossibility because everything is fighting for our attention because what has our attention has us. And your phone is pinging you, but I'm telling you, fight for it. It is worth it. And so this week, the challenge for you, it's, it's very simple. If this is a, a totally foreign concept to you, you've never really done this in your life, I wanna challenge you this week to take five minutes a day 
in silence and in solitude, spending it with God. Spend time talking with him, listening to him. Just being in his presence and saying, God, I worship you and I magnify your name. I challenge you to spend five minutes. You can set a timer on your phone. And then once you do that, go about your day. Five minutes is, is what I challenge you. But maybe, maybe you already have this rhythm in your life, right? You, you grew up in church and you've heard sermons on having a quiet time. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, right? Quiet time alone with God. If that's you, I encourage you, add five minutes. Add five minutes to your quiet time this week. And this isn't some legalism like you have to do this or else. No, no, this is a gift that God wants to give us in our lives to help transform us. Just as you wouldn't skip breakfast every day because it is a meal of nourishment, this is time of spiritual nourishment for each of us. And here's what I can tell you after personal experience and after years of ministry experience. If you're unwilling to take time for solitude and silence with God, you will live a hurried life. You will live a more frantic pace in this world. You will have an undercurrent of, of stress in your life constantly. You will be short and snippy and sarcastic with other people. I know. If you don't cultivate this time, ultimately, you're going to end up living and looking like everybody else in this world. But if you're willing to live like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will give you the power to do so, if you're willing to live like Jesus and commit to times of solitude and silence, God will honor it. God will meet with you. God will speak to you. God will help you grow in wisdom. And as you're present with God, you'll grow in intimacy with him. And as you experience the spiritual rest that Jesus promises us that we can experience in this life, you'll begin to be more present and loving in your relationships with other people, particularly those who are closest to you. And what you'll find is that like Jesus, like Jesus was filled up to live out his unique mission in life through these times of pulling away together, you'll find that as you cultivate solitude and silence in your life, that, that God will fill you up supernaturally so that you can live the unique mission that he's given to you. And so this week, the choice is yours. And my hope and prayer is that you will choose rest. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that there is a different way. We thank you that there is a, is a different way than the way we see everything going in our world. God, we thank you that we don't have to live frantic, crazy, hectic lives inside of us and in the midst of our schedules. We thank you that you offer us rest and a different vision for our lives. And God, you know that, that we long for these things. We long for this spiritual rest. We long for, for, for spiritual power. We long for intimacy with you. And so we ask that you would give us the strength to just rest, to stop, and to know that everything is gonna be okay when we stop and slow down with you, even this week. So God, we pray that in these moments of silence, even now, 
that you would meet with us, that you would restore those desolate places in our souls, and that you would fill us up as we go out to the week ahead of us.